Greetings, everyone. Grace and peace to you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you are uh, listening and you're a part of our Soma Northwest Church community, we, we love you. We miss you. If you're not a part of our Soma Northwest Church community, if maybe you've been given this recording by a family member or a friend, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we hope that these times um, that we are taking here to talk about some uh, very important truths from scripture and applying those truths, truths to our life, our community, this moment that we live in, we hope that that is an encouragement and a challenge to you in a good way. And so um, today we are continuing on in our series where we are discussing the Holy Spirit, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of Christ's church as always. I'm joined by Pastor Nate Dunleavy. Nate, good to see you. Hey, uh, good to be here, Bobby. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not here as always as I should be, so, you know, I'm glad to, to be here today. Well, I said that out of courtesy. <laughs> uh, we, we know. <laughs> the one who has always been here, the faithful one, the steadfast one, Pastor Andrew Hughes. Andrew, thanks for showing up again. Hey, I'm nothing if not steadfast, Bobby. I know, I know, and we we all appreciate that. We all appreciate that. Sometimes that might be all I am, but, but I am here. <laughs> and Andrew, Andrew again is joining us from his uh, his front porch, and so we have the the privilege of of hearing some some nature scapes in the background and some birds being piped into our discussion. You know, so, I as we. Uh, I did the weekly encouragement video and I really wanted to do it for my front porch, but it was just too busy with the kids and the neighbors going by. Yeah. You know, FDR had his fireside chats and, uh, and pastor Andrew has his, <laughs> his, his front, his front porch musings. So you can, you can trademark that. So last week we, um, we took some time to talk about um, the Holy spirit and our own spiritual formation, uh, how God is transforming us, shaping us into the people that he has created us to be, aligning all of who we are with who he is and what he says is true and what he defines as the good life. Um, and last week we talked about how that transformation that Jesus wants to work in our lives comes directly out of our identity as beloved children of God, that we aren't God's workers, uh, we aren't God's employees, um, we aren't uh, some, uh, we don't, we're not a part of some distant relationship with God, that all of, of what God desires for us stems from his love for us and the fact that we are children in his family. And what we looked at last week is that the spirit mediates that relationship. We know, we feel, we experience God's fatherly love for us both individually and as a family through the presence of God's spirit in us. We, we are not just, and this is important, we were just talking about this, before we hit record, we are not just individuals um, in a relationship with God, but we are children uh, in, a, in a family, a, a big family, and the work that God is doing in us, he is also doing in other people. And today, we want to begin to dig down into more of what that work means. Um, and, you know, when we look at particularly the um, the letters of the Apostle Paul to the churches, uh, what we see is uh, several different phrases. Just in Galatians chapter 5 alone, we, we read phrases like walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, we we read those those very familiar words of being filled with the Spirit. And each of these phrases have both passive and active connotations. There, there's, there's something that the Spirit is doing, and there's something 
that we as followers of Jesus are also being invited into. Uh, and which dovetails with how we talk about spiritual formation, that the transformation that God is doing in our lives um, is, a, is one in which he invites us to participate. And, um, and so we're going to dig into that a little bit today, and we're going to look at what exactly is light in the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit? And then... Um, what are some of the, the, the roadblocks that we encounter to experiencing that kind of life? So guys, I just want to start with that question. What is life in the spirit? How would you define that when you look at, at, at the scriptures? Um, what, what are some of the characteristics of what life, of life in the spirit? Well, I think a good place to start, uh, Andrew, would be just some of the things that you were just saying uh, before we... Uh, before we pressed record, um, the the core idea that ultimately we are in relationship with God, that the Spirit is a person of God, that uh, we are walking in active communion and fellowship with. Yeah, we've we've hit on this a few times over these conversations, uh, really trying to emphasize the personhood of not just the Spirit, but the Trinity, that... Uh, that the Holy Spirit is not a mystical force uh, that we get inside of us and then somehow, uh, you know, are led, are led by this impersonal force, but that walking by the Spirit is walking with the person of the Spirit. And yeah, that's, and, I think that's, that's the starting point. Yeah, and that, that carries over past just our personal relationships. Like this idea that I am trying to have a personal relationship with God that's divorced and and context and application from everybody else around me, that's not a Christian idea. That's actually like a, it's a satanic idea. The, the New Testament emphasis is not on, you know, me and God, my private experience with him. It's on us and God and our corporate experience with him. Now that's not saying that there's not an individual component to that, but that's not what's driving the bus. I experience the body of Christ and I experience uh, the Holy Spirit of God and my relationship with him as a person, but in the context of everybody else. And if I lose that context, I lose that experience. Uh, that experience is being had by lots of individuals, but it's always being had in context. And, and as we get into, you know, all the Galatians 5 uh, passages, which are the fruit of the spirit. What does it look like to walk with the spirit? It looks like love, not like love, like, Ooh, I love God, but love in the sense of, I love my brothers and, and mutual joy and peace, not like peace, like a river in my heart, but peace between me and other people I would otherwise be at war with. <laughs> It's a communal peace and patience, not patience like, I'm just going to wait for God to reveal to me the desires of my heart. But patience in the sense of, I can put up with you and all your shenanigans because I have the patience of the Holy Spirit. We have so internalized and so personalized the fruits of the Spirit that we think walking with God is just like, now I have some kind of you know, holy aura around me, as opposed to, no, now I have peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, self-controlled relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are together in relationship with God's spirit, which allows us to love each other for the first time, to be patient with each other for the first time, to not be marked by dissensions, quarrels, orgies, fight, you know, grumbling, fighting, uh, factions, jealousies, all the things that, that Paul says are, you know, the result of the sinful nature, not just like, Ooh, I'm bad, but like, we can't get along with each other because we're not in step with God's spirit. Nate, I've, I've heard you talk about this before, and I know you've been chomping at the bit to play this <laughs> on us over the course of this series. Um, it's come up a few times that, well, you know, when we get into Galatians five, when we get into Galatians five, um, this, this has been extremely helpful for me. So I would just encourage folks, if you've not, if you've not encountered this truth before that, uh, that context matters, that we're not just, 
individuals that when when Paul talks in Galatians about uh, the things of the flesh, they're not just um, me in my in my bedroom looking looking at pornography. Uh, you know that they're they're in the context of community. Um, I would just encourage you to go back and read Galatians with that in mind, and looking for uh, looking for the context that Paul's writing this in. To Nate's point, when he talks about the fruits of the spirit, think about that being expressed in the context of community. Yeah, it's been really it, helpful to me. So if we look at Galatians five, let's look at verses thirteen through fifteen, which everybody, you know, if you pick up your English Bible and you use those big black like a subtitle headings, you know, keep in step with the spirit that starts in verse 16. But if you actually, you know, read the scriptures without those dividers and you go back up to really the whole chapter, because it's talking about the divisions and the disagreements brothers were having over physical differences, right? Circumcision. These are cultural physical differences that were causing problems between brothers. Not that we ever have cultural or physical differences cause problems in our church. I mean, not that that's not completely relevant to us, but Paul sort of crescendos to this in verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, which, you know, hallelujah, we all want freedom, right? We want freedom from the shackles that bind us. We want freedom to be joyful. But listen to what he says. You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The truth is, the kind of freedom we most often talk about in evangelical Christian circles is freedom of the flesh. It's freedom to be free from the, uh, the bad habits that I have, freedom to be free from guilt and shame. And the emphasis is once I have that freedom, I'll be able to live my best life now for Jesus, you know, that I'll be able to, you know, be all that I can be, that I can be self-actualized, that I can have the job and the, the relationships and whatever, because I'll be free. No, Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And guess what? All those things that Christian freedom is usually built around, it's just people calling you to use freedom for the, for the flesh. But through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you divide, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. In other words, the whole setup to this whole context of what it means to walk by the Spirit is Paul says, I want you to be free. I want you to have real freedom. But once you have real freedom, it's not to get a Mercedes. It's not to have a big house. It's not to be... Uh, so unencumbered by addiction that now you can have success in life. Because guess what? If you're not riddled with addictions, you will have more success in life. That's true whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's video games, whether it's work, <laughs> whether it's uh, activities, whatever the thing is you're addicted to. If you're not addicted, you will have more success. And if your only point in getting freedom is serving yourself, you're missing the richness of what Paul's talking about. He says, use your freedom through love to serve one another because this is the whole law. And then he jumps in verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you plural, that's not you singular in Greek. That's a plural word. And you guys, y'all will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, all the context, all the things that we've been taught when we sit alone and do our quiet time by ourselves and read these passages and we think, okay, Paul's telling me how I can walk with the Spirit. Paul's telling me how I can have a, my personal relationship with God. No, he's telling us how to love each other, how to serve each other, and how to be free so that we can be part of something bigger. This is what happens when we give Nate a week off. <laughs> No, this like this is a big and, and I'll, I'll say one more thing i'm i don't mean to monopolize this but this is like a huge deal guys this is i mean you guys know uh, this is a huge deal to me i remember one time we were sitting in uh, a little house in argentina and it was a little shack and there were probably about i don't know 12 or 15 uh folks you know various stages of faith 
couple of unbelievers, and we were talking about this passage, and folks were we were reading it out loud because like our our worship services were pretty simple. We'd sing a couple songs with somebody strumming the guitar, and then we'd just read the scriptures and comment on it. And we were reading this passage in Spanish, and it was all plural. Uh, it was saying, caminen por el Espíritu, you know, walk by the Spirit. But it wasn't like you walk, like uh, Nate, you walk. It was you guys walk. And I was like really struck by that. And I was like, wow, is that what it says? That reads so differently than the way it does in English. Is that what it says in the original? And so I went back and I was going through my, you know, my Greek Bible. And I was looking, I was like, oh my gosh, this passage doesn't say what I thought it said at all. And I needed that context of reading it out loud in a language that has the same components as Greek to hear it and to hear it in the context of that room. And it, it changed my life. I mean, it was like one of the, it was like the whole, my whole life, I was reading this passage wrong. I was reading the Bible wrong. I didn't get the point of any of it until I heard it in that sense of like, oh, he's talking to us together, not to me by myself. And the freedom and the guilt that that takes off your shoulders and the refocusing on the things that Christ wants out of us, it's, it makes a big difference. This goes back to what we talked about in week one of this series, that when we look at the person and the work of the Spirit as laid out in um, the book of Acts, as laid out in the, uh, the, the life of the early church, not to mention Jesus's own words to his disciples in his promise of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus was saying to them and what he was promising them is that he would be with them. Like that even though physically he was not going to be present with them in a very short while, that he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. So like he is laying out like my relationship with you is going to continue. So the way in which you have known me is going to continue. And I know, you know, there's been people who have, have, have described the spirit as Jesus continued, you know, like that, that the spirit of God came to speak to people, but not speak his own words, speak the words that, that Jesus would give him to speak, that he would lead people not lead people in his own way, but lead people in the way in which Jesus wanted them to go, to guide them into all truth, not his own truth, but the truth of Jesus. And, and so all of these things are relational. They're relational things that we do with other people that the disciples did with Jesus. They, they walked with him. They talked with him. They heard him teach. They watched him do things that that were only possible by the power of the spirit and jesus is saying that is what you can expect to continue to experience even after i'm gone and so this is really really important that when we talk about what it, what life in the spirit means that we begin here that it it is a dynamic relationship with god it is, it is a dynamic, interpersonal relationship with God himself. And, you know, we just, we see that all over the scriptures. We see that, at the, you know, Nay, you mentioned this. We see it back at, at, in Romans 8, that what does life in the spirit look like? It's freedom. Yeah. It's a life of freedom, a life of being unencumbered by, by things that are, that are different than what God says is good. It's, it's a life that is fresh and vibrant and satisfying. I think of Jesus's words in John chapter seven, where he talks about streams of living water that will flow up. And, and John makes the commentary there in that same verse that Jesus meant the spirit, that this is what the spirit would be doing in our lives. Um, and so all of this works together to help us see that like, while there is a mystery in the way in which the spirit works, the spirit is not some mysterious impersonal force that, you know, is, is a Star Wars force or something that, that is a disembodied reality, uh, some thought experiment, some higher plane. But the spirit is, is, he is God and life in the spirit is a dynamic relationship with 
God. So here's my question. If this is what life in the spirit is, and if we as followers of Jesus receive the spirit um, upon placing our faith in Jesus Christ, why doesn't this life just happen? Why, why are there so many um, obstacles <laughs> to experiencing these things that we just mentioned? Why do we face that, that, kind, of, um, that kind of struggle? Well, I think part of the question should be, why are we surprised that we do? I mean, we, we use the language, we're so funny, we use these metaphors about relationship with Christ, right? And we use this language of relationship, and then we pretend it's not really a relationship, that somehow it should be magic. Well, we didn't call it the magic of Jesus, we called it having a relationship with Jesus. And your relationship with anybody grows and changes and matures and becomes richer and fuller and your understanding of them and what they want from you. All of that is just a natural part of knowing someone, right? So why are we so surprised when we've been telling people, oh yeah, it's all about a relationship with Jesus, but then when it works like an actual relationship, we're like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, I think some, sometimes we've, we've grown, we've anesthetized ourselves to the reality of, of what, um, of what it is to know God, that somehow it's this magical instantaneous, I get everything, uh, all at once, but Paul even said in First Corinthians, now I know in part, then I'll know fully, even as I am fully known. It's a weird thing. We get enter in a relationship with somebody who knows us completely, but we don't know him completely. The, that idea of knowing someone is really important when it comes yeah. to a relationship. You know, none of us can have a relationship apart from someone we actually know and also none of us can have a true relationship with someone believing something different about them than what is actually true that's yeah and that's a great this, point and this is something that i think it, it gets missed a lot of times when we talk about uh, what what the spirit actually what the spirit wants to do in our lives and i go back again to jesus's words in john 16 he told his disciples, he referred to the spirit as the spirit of truth, that the spirit was going to make known to them Jesus's truth, the, what, is, what is actually real. And I think that, like, and I say this in my own life, that I've seen this so much, is that so much of my frustration when it comes to life in the spirit can really be boiled down to, I actually just don't believe what God says is true. Mm. I don't believe that what, that what he is telling me is actually good for my life is really good. That where he is leading me in my life is actually where I need to go. That what he has for me to, to experience is actually what will make me and cause me to experience freedom and, and vibrancy and freshness and, and satisfaction in my life. And so as the spirit is working to form us and shape us, what the spirit is doing is the spirit wants to take the truth of Jesus and make it known, that truth, make it known to us more than just us having correct knowledge, more yeah. than, us, than us just being able to parrot back what is actually true. That's important. Uh, but it's more than that. It's internalizing that truth deep down. You know, I think to, to use the words of uh, Dallas Willard, he wants to get it in us, like get it deep down in us. I'm sorry, Eugene Peterson, I'm mi mixing up my spiritual formation, guys. But getting that truth deep down in us so that what is real and what is good begin to drive our feelings, our thoughts, our actions, the way in which we actually live our lives. But I think sometimes the, the problem that we have is that we don't actually realize how bad off we are and, and, and the deficit from which we are actually 
working. And I, I was reading a book this week that talked about, you know, God rescuing us from basically having lived in a toxic waste dump, you know, and the, the toxins and everything are in our lives and, and, and causing us, uh, they're impeding our health and they're causing us to, to disease and all kinds of different things. But that God wants to make us healthy and whole people with new beliefs, new patterns, new practices that actually bring us into life with God under the rule of God. And the spirit begins that process by beginning to replace unbelief, misbelief, you know, believing lies with actually beginning to believe truth. But like you said, Nate, we should not be surprised that there's going to be the residue that we continue to struggle with uh, from our from our old life and from just the 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 residue of this world that we live in. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. I think there's something to be said about the uh, the transactional nature that we want from our salvation or from our relationship with God. That uh, if you look just again going back to Galatians, uh, Paul's talking about. Uh, divisions amongst uh, the Galatians around circumcision specifically. And we talked about this maybe last time or the, the time before about one of the difficulties we face is that the life, life in the spirit is a life of faith. And what you see in Galatians is that they wanted to be circumcised and let in and then that's that. And I think Nate, you hit on this earlier when you talked about yep. uh, we we're not, we're not just free from, we're now free to. It's, you know, sometimes we want it to just terminate on our freedom from slavery to sin or to habits or to whatever, and not to be free to a life then of love. In Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So it's not, we don't just receive faith, we receive faith, and then the rest of our life walking with the Spirit is expressing that faith and love. And so it's, it, I think that's going back to the question about what are some of the challenges with, uh, with our relationship with the spirit. One of the challenges is that it's a life of faith. It's not as easy as just cutting off your foreskin or, yeah. you know, doing some law in the flesh. Well, I, I think that's, that's brilliant, Andrew. And it gets to the idea that we have created, there's an evangelical circumcision, right? It's, we've, we've done the same thing. So in the same way in that day, culturally, they thought, well, hey, if I do this little snip, right, if I do this little operation, then I'm accepted, I'm good with God, and everything's copacetic, right? We have our own version of that. And it's, you know, praying the sinner's prayer and, or whatever the, you know, whatever this, this idea of like, ask Jesus into your heart. And you think that I've said now magic words. I've said magic words. I've said, I've read this prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. You love me. You save me. I believe come into my heart. And now I have eternal life. Well, eternal life is the knowledge of God, which we already said was a relationship and is going to be this progressive thing. And at some point in time, our theology and our practice as a church became so focused on the only thing that matters is how to get that magical affirmation from God, how to cross that mystical line. And it's not any different than what the early church was doing with circumcision, right? They were trying to solve that same problem. How can I shortcut an experiential relationship with God and with his people and reduce it all down into one single action so I know I'm okay? And they did it through circumcision, and we do it through clasping our hands and saying a few magic words. And then we think that's the same thing as eternal life right? That I have this now, I have this assurance, and I'm good. And we wonder, why don't I have eternal life? I've said the magic words. Why am I not experiencing this? Why am I not having a relationship with God? And it's because none of that's what Jesus was ever talking about. And I'm not talking about the salvific power of faith, right? Having faith in Jesus saves you, and that's all that it takes. But the Christian life is not saying five magic words that everything's good forever. That the, That's that's not a biblical idea, and it's really the same lie the Galatians were fighting. Well, that's, so let, let, yeah, go ahead, Bobby. Well, I was just I was wanting to dig into that a little bit more. This this idea of a life of faith, um, because Paul gets at that in Galatians at the beginning of Galatians three, 
when he when he calls the his his friends he's writing to fools uh, <laughs> because because he says you know you how does he get away with that I guess oh, they, you know, I guess they like stoned him a bunch, so right. Maybe, yeah. maybe he, he paid he paid for it eventually. <laughs> um, he, he he says, you know, you started in the spirit, meaning that like they 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 got the fact that like beginning in a relationship with God is not something that they can like simply muscle in their, themselves into or like go like, to your point, Nate, say it, say something, or just you know steps one, two, and three, and then I'm good. They, they understood that there was, that there was a, a spiritual component to that, that there was new life that only the spirit could bring about in their, in their life, and that that comes through faith. But then Paul says, but then you just reverted right back to trying to muscle your way through the Christian life. Yeah. Um, that in, you began with faith in, and you began with life in the spirit, but now you're trying to do it on your own. And as we know, that just only leads to discouragement and disappointment and frustration and disillusion and all, you know, however many other D words you want to throw in there. But what, why can't we just will ourselves into kingdom life? And, and why is it that we so easily start off well, but then find ourselves reverting right back to trying to just behave our way, behave the way that God wants us to behave and just do the things that God wants us to do? What, do, what does a life of faith actually look like? Because we don't really believe that it is Christ who is saving us. As good as good evangelicals, it's okay. We can accept the fact that Christ saved us, that salvation was by grace alone, right? That we believed because of none of our own merit and all of his, that he saved us, he rescued us, he redeemed us. But we don't believe that the same power that saved us keeps us. It it, it sanctifies us to use a church, to use a real churchy word. It it preserves us and cleans us up. We think that now it's got to be my power that does that part. And that's really the whole message of the book of Galatians is, hey, the same thing that saved you, the same thing that started you on this road is the same thing that's going to carry you all the way home. And it wasn't that you were good. It wasn't that you were awesome. It wasn't your works. It was his grace, his love, your relationship with him saved you. You're saved because you know him. And guess what? Now you're going to mature and grow in faith in him by the same exact spirit. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is going to keep you all the way till the end. And that is hard for us to accept. Why is it hard for us to accept, mate? Because we're full of ourselves. We really, we really like to feel good about ourselves and feel like we're awesome. I do. I love feeling good about myself. That's what I live for. I live to feel good about myself. <laughs> when we think about this, um, you know, Paul, Paul lays this out in this passage that we're, we're digging through here in Galatians chapter 5. You know, he talks about this conflict between flesh and between spirit um, that, uh, you know, to, to recap what was said earlier, that so often we think about our flesh as, as um, uh, you know, we need to be free from our flesh, you know, all the bad things that we do in our flesh. But here Paul is also talking about the fact that, well, we try to earn our salvation through our flesh. You know, so like to, to, to the point that you made earlier, Nate, that when God saves us, you know, it's not, and, or when the spirit gives us freedom, it's not to just continue on in our flesh, just try to earn God's love or try to earn this life, that just as our flesh can lead us into, or our own strength, our own desire to, to feel good about ourselves or, or whatever, can lead us into destructive living that has real bad consequences on everybody else around us, that we can also be deceived into thinking that our flesh, that, or that the spirit frees us up to then just begin to behave our way into, the, into God's life and God's kingdom, which can have equally destructive consequences on people in our lives and the, and the church community 
that we are a part of. So what's wrong with the belief that bondage to sin and bondage to uh, trying to earn our kingdom life is simply a problem of willpower? It's directly to your point that God has not, that Jesus Christ has not saved us and then walked away, that Jesus Christ continues to save us day after day after day after day, and that that is our reality currently, and that will be our reality until we see him face to face. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what he saved us to. I mean, I'm thinking back to our series on the Beatitudes that we did some time ago, and uh, the one that I taught on was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's this sense in which you're blessed now if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied, that uh, we, we talk about the, the um, already not yet uh, sense of our life in Christ, that we, we have it now. If we don't have it now, it's because we're not living into our freedom to live a life of faith expressing itself through love. You know, I think one element of this, to kind of go back to the corporate angle, that, that it's really important to call out, part of the reason why we don't feel this is because it's not something that as a church, not as Soma Northwest, but as the broader church, we're real good at helping one another feel. And what I mean is this, you know, we've walked through, Bobby uh, knows, we've walked through a process called Steps to Freedom with a lot of folks um, in our church and just in our community. And that process really involves just calling out truths to people, the truths of what who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them, and it uncovers areas of bondage, right? The whole point of this is to be free and to have the freedom of walking in the Spirit. Why do we feel like there's so much bondage? And after doing this with, you know, lots of men through the years, one of the things that, that I think is, is common is that our relationships with other people have tied us down and taught us lies people have told us that we're worthless people have treated us in a transactional way we have been treated as uh, disposable as trash as um, flawed and broken and and people wound us and they hurt us and we build up in ourselves this perception that i've got to work harder to make people love me i've got to just do more to experience uh acceptance and affection and all, and you know a lot of times this comes from our relationships with our parents it comes from too often our relationships with other people and spiritual authority over us um i i'm just going to call us out in the church right now forget all the places in the world where the world does this we expect that but you know mentors pastors um you know older siblings like so much of we, we we heap so much on to one another to earn our affection and our approval that after a while we begin to think that that's the way god feels about us too and part of what we can do for one another because this whole idea of experiencing freedom and walking in the spirit and experiencing communal love and communal joy and communal peace because we experience that together when we walk in the spirit, we then begin to treat one another the way the spirit of God treats us. And suddenly it's a lot easier to believe that I am accepted if I experience acceptance from people under the influence of God's spirit. How am I going to know that God accepts me? Because people under the influence of God's spirit have accepted me. How am I going to know that God loves me? How am I going to know that I have value? How am I going to know that I have a purpose? Because people under the influence of God's spirit, controlled by the spirit of God, are treating me like I have a purpose, are treating me like I have value, are treating me like I have worth. I know that God treats me that way and views me that way. And that God is sanctifying me and making me better because his people, his church, are treating me that way. So if we want not just to have freedom as individuals, but to experience freedom as a community and to see one another grow and advance in this, we have to stop treating people like they are notches on a belt once they say that prayer and realize that it is all of our responsibility to express that continual growth of Christ's 
love and good pleasure in his children to one another. And it helps us realize, oh, this is true. I know God loves me because my brothers and sisters love me and I experience his love through them. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot in the past uh, at, at Northwest that we are all being shaped and formed by something. Like we are all, you know, from the moment that we begin, you know, our cognitive brain functions begin to happen, we are being discipled by by someone or something. And, you know, all, all three of us have been in relationship with people, not to mention seeing this in our own lives, where that transformation and that formation into the life that God desires for us, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in just like one session. You know, you mentioned the Steps to Freedom, which I've had uh, an opportunity to be a part of a few times. And what's powerful about that is that in that moment, things are being uncovered. Lies that are being believed are exposed. Layers are being being peeled back to, to actually, to see someone sit, sit across from us and and you see the reality of what that bondage is begin to set in on that person like this is what i've been believing for decades in my life and the the problem hasn't just been whatever behavior you know as is leading a person to to walk through this the problem has been this lie that's gotten deep down in me, that's driving all of these things. Um, but what happens is that in that moment, it's not as though, hey, everything has happened and you're all better and now you can just move forward without ever having to deal with this again. So the exposure of that happens, but then the process of beginning to replace mm -hmm. that lie that has been uncovered with truth um with the react with what god says is real that just takes time and and i think again to your point what we have done a lot in our culture is that we've separated that time and that process of transformation we've we've separated it from actual relationship with other people who God has put in our lives to help us. You know, we've replaced like good dynamic friendships with other people with, you know, sterile accountability groups or, you know, processes where we just, you know, hunker down in, in at a desk and like start working through curriculum or whatever it means. But like the truth that God is getting in us is truth that's coming through and is designed to come through the rest of his church in the context of other people who are doing the same thing in their lives, who are working in, in participation with the spirit to see the transformation of God um, begin to happen in their lives. And so what I, what I want to, I want to dig in a little bit more here to the fruit of the spirit and this language that this language of fruit, it overlaps with, Jesus's words in John 15 to his disciples about abiding in him and him being the vine and them being the branches and that they cannot bear fruit apart from him. So what is the connection there between the fruit of the spirit, this, this love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, What's the connection between this fruit and those words, that invitation of Jesus to come and to abide and remain in him? One of the questions that always comes up is when you see somebody um, who is really active in ministry and had a quote-unquote successful ministry, had a big impact on a lot of people, and then you see them um, – renounce their faith or they struggle or they sometimes they fall away uh, entirely and people say well how could they have produced so much fruit how could they have done all those things and none of it you know none of it was real and the truth is because the fruit that Jesus is looking for 
was never like do miracles in my name, right? Like he, he even says that, you know, he's just, people are like, hey, we prophesied in your name. And he's like, I don't know you, <laughs> you know, we, we did all these miracles in your name. And he's like, I don't know you. Um, the, the, now, the things that come from knowing Christ are the things that can't be faked. The fruit, the, pro, the produce is, and it's not, you know, fruits, plural, it's fruit singular, what it looks like, the, the outcome of Christ in our lives is that love and joy and peace and patience. And those things only come from him. So Paul says against these things, there's no law. There's no law. You know, we're living in a time in which folks are like, oh, the government's telling us that we can't meet as a church. The government, you know, the government's making all these laws against Christianity because of COVID. No, it's not. There's no law. There is no law against us loving each other and us having peace and patience and kindness and goodness. There's no law that can prevent that. There never has been. And to say that there is empowers gives people a power they don't have. It actually gives power to the government and ultimately to the enemy to think that he could ever stop us from living out the, the, the abiding uh, results of being with Jesus. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop us from manifesting the result of our relationship with Jesus to the world. When we think about this fruit, when we think about the fact that there is no law that can stand against these things, um, and when we connect those words, those the, the reality of this fruit to Jesus's words, we have to realize that very simply, we aren't the ones producing the fruit. We aren't the ones, you know, popping out this you know, apple of love and this pear of joy and, you know, all of these different things that, you know, Jesus is the one who is producing these, this fruit. And I think, you know, I just want to encourage people that are listening to this, who in this time feel disoriented, who um, maybe have not been able to um, minister to people in the way that they had previously been ministering to people or, you know, quote unquote, using their gifts or doing some of these different things. Um, and I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, I, you know, I'm not able to meet with this person. or I'm not able to serve in this way anymore. I'm just, I really miss being able to do whatever X, Y, and Z. And I look at this list and I'm like, but where, you know, are you loving people that are in your life? Are you serving people that are in your life? Are you, are you exercising patience and, and forbearance in, in relationships? Are you, uh, are you exhibiting self-control? You know, like all of these things we can point to to say, like, if those things are evident in the life of someone who's following Jesus, th there's great encouragement that should be coming from that, that, yes, the Spirit of God is at work in me. The Spirit of God is doing the work that He intends to do in my life. And I think so often we get caught up in the, the context in which we want that fruit to happen or, or the means by which we want it to happen or the expression we want it to take. And we, we, sometimes we lack the, 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 the creativity um, and the understanding to see that these things aren't bound by context. They aren't bound by circumstances. They aren't only to be channeled through particular uh, means and ministries, but these are present in the life of someone who is in the spirit, no matter where they are, no matter who they're in relationship with, no matter if they're sheltering at home or they're around thousands of people week in and week out. And so I, that, that's something that has been encouraging to me during this time when, you know, quite frankly, a lot of my, the way in which I minister to other people has had to look different uh, than how it, than what it has looked like 
leading up to this time, but to be able to step back and to see, okay, there is still opportunity for these things to be evident in my relationship with other people, for other people, my family, my, you know, my wife, my children, my neighbors, you know, people over a Zoom call to see Jesus in my life in these ways. So as we close, as we, as we begin to wrap up, what, what are your encouragements for folks? How, how does this land for us today? Uh, and maybe even just personally in, in, in both of your lives, um, what, is, what has this and what, what is this looking like in your life? I think for me, uh, the, the major realization that I'm called to live my life with other people that I'm not called to go withdraw and uh, live on an island, but I'm called <laughs> to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25 of Galatians 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And, it, you know, that next verse is really a sledgehammer. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another, and just realizing that the outflow of my relationship with Jesus um, is that I will keep in step with God's spirit and that will not lead me to strife with my brothers. It won't lead me to envy or jealousy with my brothers. It won't lead me to provoke my brothers. You know, and then we get into Galatians six, which is another section I've, I've, my wife and I've taught on really extensively about bearing one another's burdens. Um, Paul goes on to say, you know, this is how you care for one another you know, in crisis, when things happen, when there are problems. And so uh, the fruit or the outcome of uh, this ministry from uh, of this, of these truths for me has been understanding my role in trying to help other people and what, what God, you know, expects of me and wants of me. And, it, and it's been, it's been freeing and it's taken, it's been a burden reliever, not a burden creator. Andrew, what about you? Yeah, one, one thing that I was thinking about uh, just over the course of this conversation was my, just my testimony. Uh, think back to when I was 17 at a Young Life camp and um, had the truth of Scripture revealed by the Spirit. Um, came back home from that camp and talked to my pastor and had the, the bridge conversation, you know, where... I'm on one side and God's on the other side and there's a cross between the two and that sort of thing and ended up getting baptized. And then, um, and that was kind of the extent of my interaction with, with my pastor beyond that. And the next few years of my spiritual life were not, not especially great or life-giving because what had happened was I had started by the spirit, as Paul says in Galatians, and then, um, did, you know, basically just didn't know how to proceed by the spirit to just continue to live my life by the spirit. So I had this, I had God's spirit living in me. I had been convicted of my sin. I had repented and then was just kind of left, you know, left to figure it out. And I just over the course of this conversation realizing, or I guess making the connection that I, what it had started in the spirit, then I, I, uh, changed gears and you know reverted back to just trying to do things on my own or figure it out on my own except now I had God's law in front of me and it was um, there was a lot of guilt and a lot of strife and struggle and hardship and certainly none of it in the context of any any sort of fellowship of believers so I, I, I think I'm just encouraged in this conversation to even to look back on my my own conversion my own walk with God you know, I'm just about at the point, I guess, now where I've, I've been a Christian as long as I haven't been. So, yeah, I think I, I'm just encouraged to see that connection that, yeah, so I, I don't know, that's not necessarily how this uh, is impacting me today, but just over the course of this conversation, connecting those dots that my own conversion story was one in which um, I really felt relief and felt freed from sin. And then, and that was, um, there, there wasn't a continuation of that really until I uh, began being discipled and, and 
you know, really taught what it means to walk by the spirit now that we're not just saved from, but saved for. And again, just you know, Nate's, Nate's emphasis on doing this all in the context of community has been tremendously helpful to me. And I can see even over the past few years, how that's shaped, shaped my walk with the spirit. We're talking about this again in the context of a, of a broader, a broader focus for our church on spiritual formation and the, the practices of participating with the spirit in our formation. And I, and I just, I think that it is so important for us to begin to see these practices as, you know, the Sabbath and silence and solitude and fasting and feasting and, you know, reading the scriptures and prayer and, and, and worship and, you know, uh, meeting the needs of the poor and, and all of these different, these different practices that we see God's people doing in the scriptures. And we see God encouraging and Jesus encouraging his followers to participate in. I want to, I really want us to, I want it to encourage us to begin to see these practices as not uh, things to just be, you know, actions to be checked off of a list, but these are practices in which we do cultivate this relationship with the Spirit, and, and we begin to experience this life in the Spirit, uh, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, and we do those we practice these things both as as individuals and as as people a part of of a of a larger community because as we're practicing these things together we are encouraging one another we are pulling one another on we are bearing each other's burdens we are doing all of these things in in a dynamic relationship with each other and with our creator and so that's looked different over the last month or so, and our ability to be able to do those things together um, has has had to take on um, a, a a new uh, a new shape. But that's why we are looking forward to meeting together again and to being together again. Is because of what we've just talked about here that our experience of life in the spirit has is meant to be lived with each other. Um, in bodily contact with each other, yeah. our physical presence with each other. And so as we look forward over the next few weeks of being able to slowly begin to do that together um, and to see each other again and to encourage each other to begin to practice some of these things together with each other, um, we can know that these things that, that God wants to be true in our lives in our relationships with each other, these, these, this fruit of the spirit, we can expect that God, we can expect to see these things and to see these things grow and mature and to continue on in our lives. Parting comments, thoughts from you guys? No, I, um, I just want to encourage everybody to, um, to cling fast to one another during this time and it seems like it's really hard but but i've seen so many of you do it so well uh, i've seen so many of you extend love um, and affection and help and i just want to encourage you that i've seen god's spirit at work uh, in our community and i know that uh, the relationships that god is developing uh, in all of us aren't that we're not, you know, we say all the time, we're not a social club. Uh, this is, this has been a family and I have seen the fruit, the outpouring, the richness of your walks with the spirit by how you're treating each other, by how you're encouraging one another. And I just want to encourage everyone to do so all the more uh, as, as we move into whatever the next phases of things are going to be as a church community that your relationship with God will grow in proportion with your relationship with one another. And, and many of you are, are doing just a beautiful job of that. And I just want to extend encouragement and, and thanksgiving for what I've seen from you. Andrew, anything from you? Yeah, I'll just amen that.
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation today. As always, uh, if you have questions, you can reach us uh, via our website, somaindy.com. Um, you can also check out our Facebook page. We're going to be uh, posting this discussion on our Facebook page, as well as some other uh, different weekly meditations from the three of us. Uh, some encouragement thoughts for the week ahead. Uh, we've got kids lessons that we're posting from Hannah Hansen uh, to help you as you're continuing to connect with your kids and engage your kids uh, with the, the understanding of who God is and, and the truths from scripture. I want to close with these words from the Apostle Peter. Know this, that the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We'll see you next time.